my greatest fear in life has been about money and about my value. I've spent my entire adult life working to figure out how to be able to be at home with my children, participate in my community, do the work that I believe is the right work that I'm intended to do as a human in this lifetime about food and access to food and regenerative agriculture and gardening mm -hmm. and like teaching communities about ultimately how to feed themselves. Right. Nutrient dense food access, the things we talk about on the podcast all the time. Mm -hmm. And my greatest fear is making missteps with money. Mm -hmm. And that's been a thing that's run through all the way. And during Grow Local, it was the thing that brought me the greatest amount of stress running the nonprofit, figuring out how to do all the work I needed to do, but then also make sure that we kept up with enough funds to keep people paid, that I would never have to tell people I can't pay you. Over the last few weeks, we've run into a cash flow situation, and it's been harder than I've known how to handle. It's been more challenging than I ever expected to have to deal with, and that I'm not a 20-something-year-old with a new baby that's struggling to get through college, you know, that because I've been through that stage of without money, kind of, but it just always seemed to work out, and now you it's... You had a support system. Well, yeah, and I've, I've got a support system today, and I, you know, I work very diligently to make sure that I don't run into that problem, because it's the thing I'm most scared of. Mm -hmm. It is the thing I freak out the most about. It's the thing I cry and scream and and hurt and hurt back. And it's the thing that during all of this time of leaving Grow Local, transitioning in and out of a corporate marketing job, because I think that there's an element of me that, that knows that if I wanted to go back into the corporate machine, I'd be making a lot of money right, right. now. Like and I, I know, and I know you that. did for, you know, that period of time where you took that job and it was like this night and day level of income from the nonprofit world, of course, starting a nonprofit world into an established company. Yeah. And, you know, there's always that in the back of my mind. It's like, well, if you just do it the way that everyone else does it, then you could have plenty of money and you wouldn't have to be worried about money. But every time I went into that world, I wasn't less scared about money and I also wasn't happy. And I also was miserable in life and I wasn't mm -hmm. doing what I felt called to do. Which I think a lot of people confronted in their own personal lives during the pandemic. Right. And you know, I don't and like what I'm doing or what I'm doing can be done differently. Look at how differently we're doing it, how quickly we're having to adapt to do it differently. Yeah. So because of that, and my income stream isn't a performer because of the type of work that I do, it's I'm in a state of really, you know, scared, trying to figure out how to be able to continue to keep doing what I do without having this level of fear. The thing that I can say right now is that my work, my business, it's springtime, my gardens, my success is on the rise. Yeah. It's better than it's ever been in all the years I've ever done it. Mm -hmm. Even in the Grow Local days when I was, you know, doing that stuff, the the work that I'm doing, the money that I'm making, the successes that I'm having, the performance that I'm having, the value of what I do is being seen at a higher level. But that money situation and that fear about money, knowing that I could go into the corporate world and get a job and make plenty of money, 
always gives me this feeling that like what it is that God put me here on the earth to do or what I feel that is my intended mm-hmm. destined job for this lifetime I think it's isn't the- valued enough to make enough money mm-hmm. to be plentiful and not worry about it and whatever. And there was a conversation that came up today on social media that ended up in this. A coach that I followed for years, those of you that listen to the podcast during the pandemic year, you would have heard me talking about Sarah Longoria mm-hmm. because I followed her to learn more about how to handle this feeling I have inside of myself about money and my value. And a lot of people, including her, said the one that doesn't value what you do and the one that doesn't value you is you. And the world will shift their values around you. It won't have anything to do with what you do. It'll have to do with how much you value yourself. And that's what I feel like I'm facing at this stage of my life. And it's such an unexpected thing to be facing that right now because I see the value in what I'm doing. I can see it. Right. So I don't understand. You talk about it here every week. Yeah. And and with the gusto that it deserves. But at the same element, it's like I'm trying to constantly prove to everyone the value that there is in this. That's me trying to prove to everyone the value that is Aislinn, what my worth is to the world. You know, I go on the podcast and I talk about how important these things are. I go into Facebook and I talk about lives and how important these things are. And there's an Mm -hmm. element of that that isn't just about sharing and planting seeds. There's an element of that that is proving my value, proving my worth. And the only person, again, that I have to prove my worth to is me. But when you're entering these like, I'm going to call it dark night of the soul because I think that people kind of understand that. That's some terms that people are talking about. But when you enter into this moment of awareness and this moment of another phase of leveling up, your vibration has hit another karmic nerve and it's ready to let go of it. And this is a big one, Aislinn. This is is a big one, Aislinn, because Mm -hmm. this is the one that has hit you, has scared you. This is the one that has stopped you in your tracks a thousand times that has made you shift from jobs, has made you, you know, and it's not just me. When I say these things, I would say most people have this sense of maybe it's not about value or worth, but this like fear about money that is disconnected to whatever it is for them that's connected to them. Mm -hmm. This social media conversation that came up online today brought it home that I'm not handling it as well as I want to handle it. I'm not handling this issue with cash flow. I'm not handling um, how I feel about it. I'm not handling recognizing my worth as well as I want want to be able to believe that I can. And, and, and everybody will tell me I mean, every time, every time I get in kind of this place, whether it's been years with Grow Local or, you know, when I transitioned from Grow Local into my own business or even today, Everyone will say, oh my God, Aislinn, you're so important to this community. The work that you do is so valuable to this community. It's not that I don't have people out there saying those things. And I mean, that was the response I got. Let me tell you a little bit about the social media post that I, just so that you know what I'm talking about. So I've mentioned, I think the last couple of weeks, if I haven't, here's the first time I'll tell you, I did a little special of, hey, I'm going to come do two hours of gardening for you for $77. Right. And You'll go to their house, get with them side by side. Yes. Hands-on, mm-hmm. private coaching right there with you in your gardens. 
and I'm doing two hours for $77. And I've been promoting that and really pushing it out there because here's an opportunity for me to get a little bit of cash flow going because we need a little bit of cash flow right now. Let me get some money in my bank account while I'm feeling concerned about money because if I can make money, then that makes me feel less fearful about money. And it's that time of year anyway. Exactly. It's spring. It's time for me to do that kind of stuff. I posted it in, you know, I posted all over the place. And the thing is, is that here's another indicator of some of the fears that I have about my worth. Because when you start pushing yourself out there to the social media, you're going to get people that are going to say really shitty, stupid yeah, things. No matter what you're talking about. No matter what you're talking, right. no matter who you are, mm-hmm. no matter what you're talking about. So much fun. And I've seen an increase in attention, followership across the board, everywhere. Not just here at the podcast. Yeah. All of it. Everywhere. It's changing. More people are interested in what I'm saying. So more value is being presented to me in just that avenue alone. So here's another way of like me kind of getting hit again with a little bit of like this worth thing. And here's this person. And why do you even care, Aislinn, what this person says or whatever? So it's this gardening group. And I posted about my special and it got this one comment. I'm just wondering why you would charge to help people just asking because the botanical gardens has a vegetable garden classes for $5 and the Noasis masters gardeners help people for free. And every bit of all of the work that I've done in this community for free came flooding through my mind. And knowing that you have, and anyone that's listened for the last, I don't know, a few months, you've mentioned this a few times. I'm yeah. struggling with my value. Yeah. Well, this person just kicked you right in the crotch. Yeah, exactly. You know, I looked at this and I said, okay, well, I ran a nonprofit and I know that the Botanical Garden can only give you $5 garden classes because they're fully they funded, grant funded, yeah. grant funding. Right. And they can And their do instructors it that way. are being paid. Right. And when I ran Grow Local South Texas, we did free and $5 classes all the time. But everybody got paid behind the scenes. And as a matter of fact, I built a nonprofit that taught garden education classes. The Master Gardeners is a fully funded program. Now, there are volunteers that do that, but they have to spend an enormous amount of time. It's a part of the investment that they're making Mm -hmm. in order to get this certification Mm -hmm. that they volunteer their time. But it is funded by a land-grant institute, an AgriLife Institute. Not to mention that both of the examples she cites are teaching not a regenerative gardening that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Well, I don't know what they're teaching. It's a different product. But they're not Aislinn. That that part I do know. (laughs) There you go. That part I do know. You know, so I, I went through that and I, I responded very kindly, I think, because what I, what I don't want is to get into some, like, I'm happy that there's free classes out there. That's mm-hmm. why I started a nonprofit to do free classes. Last Wednesday, the downtown farmer's market, Grow Local Farmer's Market, celebrated its 11th year. And the story that I told everyone was 11 years ago, I wanted to sell vegetables at a farm stand. And so I started a farmer's market. And then I was able to do that for two weeks before I realized in order to run a nonprofit and a farmer's market, I wasn't going to be able to grow vegetables, spend the time growing the vegetables that I wanted to grow. No, right. And I wasn't going to be able to manage the market if I was going to be there selling vegetables. So it took me 11 years of giving my time. Now, I got a very, very low stipend when I, I got paid a very low stipend. 
when I was the executive director of Grow Local South Texas for some of the years that I worked there, not all of the years. Right. So I gave away a portion of my life to get something started where we teach vegetable gardening for free all over the city. Now, there's a learning garden that I developed was my idea. The way it was developed was my idea and I supported it. It was my biggest project, Mm -hmm. the most important part of everything I did. It was your favorite physical place to be. Exactly. It still exists now where a local gardener, an experienced gardener that I taught how to garden manages and runs it now. And he doesn't teach for free. He has open garden things, you know, just like I have open garden Mm -hmm. things here at the farm. People pay him for the work that he does. Well, there wasn't just one comment. There was an avalanche of support. And most of the support in the comments that I read talked about how this person's a fool. And I don't mean to point fingers and and be ugly at any one person. The idea that someone providing a service shouldn't be paid for that service is usually reserved for the arts. Agreed. Or the food is free concept, which is why the value of what I do has always felt like humanity didn't value food. There are beautiful treatises written by musicians and artists. This is why I'm charging you, because I'm just as valuable as a plumber. I provide a different service, but I'm just as valuable as a plumber. And the reason why I know that I'm just as valuable is because you've asked me to come give you my services. And that's what I need to get back to. It's like, I'm not for you. I mean, this is literally what my therapist taught me. There are going to be people who are fully wide open, ready to receive the seeds. Mm -hmm. Because what I did when I saw the post, I shared the actual post. I screen captured and shared the post, not in an ugly way. Crossed out her name. Right. Not trying to be ugly, but Mm -hmm. basically using it as a public relations. As a teaching tool. Yeah. Here is the idea that I don't have any value. And also, by the way, here's how how you can uh, sign me up for gardening. (laughs) And, And guess what happened? Somebody signed me up for gardening, yeah. you know, and not just for two hours, but for four hours. Yeah. So like I wasn't worth just that. I was worth double that, you know, and I get hired on a regular basis and I get supported and I show up with vegetables and people. I mean, there was a ton of people that came to the farmer's market on Wednesday because I was there. Now, a lot of people came because it was the 11th birthday but also wanted to make sure they saw me because Mm -hmm. they were there with me on the very first farmer's market 11 years ago. So how are you feeling here at the end of the day? This big social media thing happened. Someone kicked you right in the crotch on social media. An avalanche of people came to your defense. And now after this conversation. I'm excited to know that just around the bend is me being able to release this major fear inside of me. Mm -hmm. Me being able to shift into the new phase, the butterfly phase of of this part of me. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel good to be in the place that we're in and that I'm in right now. But, but I'm one of those people that is a, every crisis is an opportunity. When there's a problem, I jump into gear and you, you haven't seen me work so awesome when that's the case. And the situation that we're in right now, aside from me, just it's spring and I'm doing my gardening and I'm busy doing that. And that's got me jumping into gear because that's really the only thing I can do, which is a great time to do that because this is what I want to do right now. But there's nothing I can do to solve this problem. And that irks me. That is painful to me. So I'm doing the best that I can to handle the timing that we're in and to get through it, knowing, knowing 
without any doubt in my mind, knowing that the next phase of this massive shift in me is here. It's here. It's right here. I believe you. I want to speak about the person that made that comment. We were having a conversation earlier this week that led to a conversation about God. And not that we're defining God, but rather your belief that one must have a relationship with God, whatever that means to them. I just don't believe people have a choice about that. Mm -hmm. I believe that, that you have a relationship with God, whether you choose it or not. And I asked you, well, what are the steps to do that? And I get frustrated because the answers aren't concrete. You don't say, well, here is the five-step well, plan. The reason why is because I'm not here to tell you what you exactly. are supposed to believe in. Just like you're not here to define what God exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. But you did say that one of the major elements of it is forgiveness. Absolutely. It's the number one thing. Forgiveness of whom? Who am I forgiving? And you said, forgiving your mother, forgiving the church. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's listened for a length of time knows that there's some black coal in my heart around the church and my upbringing in it. What was the number one thing I told you to forgive? The most important thing you're supposed to forgive. Yourself. That's right. I was listening to a podcast of one of these kinds of people whose names you don't say, like we talked about last week, because it makes you think that they're on this side or that side, and I like them or I don't, depending on their name. But Are you talking about Joe Rogan? Yeah. And he, <laughs> the reason why I was listening well, to him- Well, we talked about Jordan Peterson last week, so no, why not talk about I'm Joe Rogan I'm not a Joe Rogan <laughs> listener. That's not a justification of anything, but I'm a Spotify user, so usually who he's interviewing comes across my feed. Mm -hmm. And depending on who he's interviewing- I might listen. He was interviewing Russell Brand. Mm -hmm. I just knew that that was going to be an engaging conversation. Yeah, I probably should listen and no to it. I'll send you the link. But no matter what you think of Joe Rogan or Russell Brand, I'm not closed down to interesting conversations. And a portion of their three-hour talk was about coming out of COVID when you're potentially reconnecting with people that you heartily disagreed with during the COVID phase. Remember how much everybody was hating everybody? Yeah. I told you, remember when I said to you, at some point, that person's going to want to sit across the table and drink a beer with me. Mm -hmm. And how's that going to work? Well, I've noticed that <laughs> I am getting friend requests from people that I didn't even realize had unfriended right. oh, me. Totally. And dur yes. during COVID and during all of it, I don't think I wasn't loud or out about no, this side or that side. No, but I was, and we're together, side. so oh, okay. they were uh, drops you in a category with uh, me. And they were defriending me by proxy? Yeah. But the word they used was forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Hold that coal in your heart against a person who disagreed with you about something you may even disagreed with your old self about? Right, exactly. As new information comes yeah. out about this oh, or yeah. that? Totally. As we get, quote unquote, it's back to normal. a good way to, to explain normal. forgiveness. Yeah. You hold, you're holding a coal against your own self from something you used to believe in. Are you yeah. holding that coal? I mean, that's just what, yes. yeah, I mean, that might be yeah. the case. Yeah. All you can do is instantly forgive this person because they're in that muddy place of social media. Well, Ooh. someone brought attention to me. Um, I thought this one was really interesting. Let me read you this. Um, there was a lot of really interesting comments, but... This one really um, made me think. She said, imagine being super bothered by someone spending only $77 for you to do a home visit. Right. My response was... Because that includes the gas and that includes... There's a well, but, she, but her thing was, she gave me the idea of like thinking about what it must be to be a person who lives a life where they're scared to spend $77 on a very important professional that does a very important job. Of course. Like they're afraid, yeah. like that's the life they live in. And then I was thinking, here I am 
I need that money right now as as much as anybody else in the world needs that money. And the person that's hiring you needs the garden as much as you need the money. Right. Yeah. When you flip things around and start thinking about how Mm. the other person must feel to act the way they act or to say the things that they've said or to treat someone the way that they... That part of social media has made it a lot easier for me because... In those relationships that are not special relationships, you and I are a special relationship. It makes it more challenging for me to step into your side and let go of how I feel and look from your eyes. But when it's not a special relationship, somebody out there in the social media world, it's very easy for me to flip over. I don't even have the same feeling about driving, driving in a car. You know, you do when people would honk or yell at you or something yeah. like that and you just yell back at them or whatever. I don't get that feeling inside of me because it's so much easier for me to think, you know what, that man who knows what's going on in his life at home, maybe nothing. Maybe he just wants to get home to see his kids. Maybe he wants to get home to see a football game. Who freaking cares? But what kind of person, what kind of anxiety, what kind of like general sense of like negative jaw cleansing vibration must Mm -hmm. be going on inside someone's body for them to be that crazed in a car screaming at you, right? So then you think about that when you think about the way someone talks to you. If they have to say publicly, why do you charge somebody for something? They might as well be walking into a store, a grocery store and asking for free food. Yeah. And 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 what it must feel like to have that sense of and because I have such a great fear of being without money and having such a great fear uh, or kind of this angst about value, I understand how painful it is to not have money. I understand how painful it is to be without. Where do people find that two hours for $77 special? It's on my website. If you just go to my website, acelincampbell.com, it's going to be up there on the front page. It's going all the way through the end of May. And then, you know, who knows, I'll pick it up again in fall and get you guys going again in fall. But I hope you'll contact me and um, I can come out and help you out with your gardens. And also don't forget, I'm doing a class on a April the 29th here at the farm. It also costs money, but I'm giving you my special time. You know? That was really cheap. <laughs> I do it on Mondays for free though. So mm-hmm. you could come out to the farm on Mondays in the morning or in the afternoon and I'm out gardening and doing what I do and would love to do that with anybody. And you should extend the invitation open. to the woman. That... I actually did. I even sent her my website. Yeah. I was very kind. I, I totally was like, Hey man, if you need free gardening help, there's plenty. Let me tell you about some of it. Right. <laughs> So one of the unanswered questions from last week, I brought up adoption. You know, sometimes we'll pick up an interesting subject and just kind of carry it around for a little while and talk about it. And I thought if you were up for it, then maybe we could talk about that. One of the first things you told me when I met you Mm -hmm. was that you were adopted. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things my parents told me. Was that I was adopted before I even understood what the word meant. Because last week we were talking about some feminine wounding, some issues with reception, uh, mother feminine, you just kind of some of that stuff from the left side of your body. Yes. If you guys want to know more about that, make sure you go back and listen to that episode so and, you can hear And us know that I'm about 95% that. completing our Qigong. There's still a time <laughs> when there's a stretch or a twist where I'm like, mm, nope, not doing that one. Well, you're still, you're still caging your mother wounding inside your... You um, know what? I really am. (laughs) (laughs) But but the rib feels better. It's come up a few times. So I just thought that it would be interesting to hear a little bit about the story. Sure. 
I believe in our relationship at the time that we've been together, that that's one of those things that would be really, really good for you to spend some time with a therapist talking about, because I think that some of your wounding and some of your, what I would consider as not a therapist, but who's someone who's been to a lot of therapy in their lifetime, some abandonment wounding kind of stuff. Yeah. You introduced me to that term. I don't know. Just to give up some of that, like. Well, all I can say is that this is my story. I can't speak to anybody else and I'm not speaking about anybody else. Mm -hmm. In other words, I don't know if generally all adopted kids feel any one way about it because I have talked to several adopted kids and have had that many opinions about it. Mm -hmm. It's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. But I was adopted at the age of nine days. And at the time, the common thing was to have closed adoptions. Mm -hmm. My parents never met my biological parents or mother. They were never in contact. They didn't coordinate anything. Just phone call from the adoption agency that my parents had applied to. We have a baby. Do you want it? You know, that's mm-hmm. that's how it went down. They were ill prepared. It came fast. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a crib, you know, that kind of fast. But like I said, they introduced me to the concept even before I understood what it meant. Someone must have told them that that would be a healthy thing to do. I like that. You like what? That they didn't spring it to me on my 18th birthday oh, or yeah. when I was 12. Yeah. And by the way, sit down. We have something to tell you. So how old were you when they told you? From the moment that I understood speech. I mean, okay. they, they, they had a book. And in the rotation of bedtime stories was this book about an adopted family. I remember. Uh-huh. I think I have it uh-huh. somewhere. So your entire life, mm-hmm. that was a part of your story. I am an adopted kid. These are not my parents. Correct. But it didn't knock around in my brain at a conscious level. They were just my parents. Right. Yeah. My best friend is adopted. Different situation. Right. Yeah. Those are his parents. Right. 21, 22 years ago, someone that I knew really well was having trouble conceiving and was going the adoption route. Mm -hmm. A completely different game. They had to create scrapbooks Mm -hmm. with their photos, like... These sales literature. Yeah. Well, that mothers could look through the different books. Oh, oh, okay. So these were Expectant mothers. Okay. And they could, I like the looks of these people. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, what is their income level? Oh, you know, which, you know, things change. they eat Indian food? Things, exactly. (laughs) Our favorite food is Indian food. No. Well, that's closed-minded. It's the best food there is. The mother that was having trouble conceiving and showing me her adopt, like their adoption sales like literature Mm -hmm. was adopted and we had conversations about adoption Uh yeah and i said to her i don't like any of this now this is my opinion what did you not like well i guess it was because i had had my own experience that i had no problems with that i didn't like the idea that there was a different kind of experience but it felt to me just like that very marketing oriented to help you choose the i mean I, i see it kind of and they met the mother Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've fallen out of touch with them. I don't know if they still have a relationship with the mother. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that they would continue to send pictures of the child as he grew up. Yeah. I'm not saying well, it's wrong or right. I'm just, it was so different that I, I, I didn't cotton to the idea. There are people out there that are going through that and have used that. And I'm sure it's wonderful. Well, and also there are adoption situations that are not going to be that. So they were looking for a certain type of adoption. Correct. Because there are people out there that adopt just like you or a mother just gives a child up mm-hmm. and someone that still adopts the, t- the child. Right. The mother doesn't care, doesn't want to be involved, doesn't right. just wants the child to be adopted. Right. 
you're saying that they didn't have that choice back then. It wasn't how they did it. I know now I was listening to something that was talking about how the advent and increased use of like a 23andMe or Ancestry.com home genetics testing, mm -hmm. that that stuff, as I understand it, your stuff, you can click yes or no, goes into a database mm -hmm. where if someone on the other side of the world matches genetics with you, mm -hmm. they can contact you. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stories that are happening right now, right now. Yeah. Of people having to have that, holy shit, you did 23andMe and now you realize that this isn't your father. The man that you know is your father <laughs> isn't your father. Yes, I conceived you with someone else, but we decided a long time ago without knowing that 23andMe, those kinds of things were ever going right, to right, exist right. to not tell you that. That's happening at a huge rate. Yeah. And to me, that would be devastating. I say that. In the context of which I've known yeah. myself, yeah. that would not be anything I'd want to do. Right. 16 years ago, uh -huh. I got a phone call. This is before I met you. And hello, hello. Is this Joe Hilliard? Yes. Is that how the phone works? <laughs> remember the, remember? It was remember. a wire. Yeah, there was an actual wire. That went into the wall of my house <laughs> and it rang. <laughs> I picked it up. Yeah. You pick it up. Yeah. And you put, hold it to your ear. And you speak into this side. And I said, hello? And he said... You know, guy, there's a Shin song where they say, won't you pick up the receiver? And it wasn't even made that long ago. And I think there's so many people out there that don't even know what it means to pick up the receiver. Exactly. Well, that's what I did that night. Hello? Hello? Is this Joe Hilliard? Yes. Were you born on such and such? Who is this? Oh, that's a creditor or something. You know, it's a bill collector. Who knows what's going on? Yeah. I think I'm your brother. Interesting. Yeah. When I woke up that morning, I did not think I'd be having any kind of phone call like this. Right. Of course. My first question was, what do you want? <laughs> I mean... That doesn't surprise me about you, by the way. Okay. <laughs> it went better from there. <laughs> now, he and I are Facebook friends. We have yet to meet, and I know we will one day. Yeah. We check in on each other. He didn't want anything. Yeah. He messaged you when your mom passed away. I really appreciated that. Well, yeah. He and I had been talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Up leading up to that. He and I had talked more frequently. Yeah. I'd love to meet him. We're friends on Facebook. Even. Yeah. <laughs> I told my dad I need to talk to you about something. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to keep this a secret. And he goes, that is really wonderful news. We cannot tell your mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we never did. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until after she passed that I told the people closest to her. Because for my mother, who had to have an early hysterectomy, and with her very devout religious upbringing, I was a miracle from God. She would not have cottoned to the idea that, however old I was then, 35-year-old son is now faced with the idea that I wasn't hers. Does that make sense? Her, her son. Hmm. I think that when I turned 18, I could have contacted the adoption agency that handled my case and said, I am willing to speak to my biological mother, put open on my side. And if my biological mother had done the same and it was open on her side, then, then they would have connected us. Mm -hmm. I have not connected with her. I have no intention to, mm -hmm. but I could if I wanted to, because I've met my half brother here, you know. I bet it wasn't that hard to find you if she knew who the name of your dad, because your name is the same as your dad's name. So like if, she, if your mother knew your dad's name in the adoption. Well, prior to 23andMe, 
the way my brother found me mm-hmm. was through the growing internet thing that was happening, <laughs> you know, 17, 18 years ago. And there were communities of people called uh, angels, they called themselves, and they hold on to information. I know that it's even easier now, but they would hold on to information like, I've got the birth records of Harris County from 1970, whatever. Mm-hmm. And hey, I'm looking for a potential sibling who was born roughly this time. Right. What year? Oh, I don't have that year, but my friend Bill does connect you with Bill. Bill's going through. Do you know what hospital it was? Do you know? Da, da, da. And they found me uh-huh. that, that way. Interesting. Now I'm sure it's even easier than that because the internet's more such so yeah. much more sophisticated. Yeah. I'm just curious to know how that's made you who you are today. Like, have you dug into that part of it? I mean, it, it makes you different. Like you're, you're very different than I am. You know what I mean? You were born to a woman who gave you up and then you were adopted by a different woman. So that's a very different Mm -hmm. birth story than mine. I tell you what, why don't we gong that? And I also am curious, do we have any listeners out there that were adopted or I'd have adopted stories or adopted their own children, whether they awesome. would want to share some stories with us? We'd love to, to communicate about that. Yeah. So let us know your thoughts about it. So far, this has been a pretty uh, intense podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about some Tuscan chicken. <laughs> well, that was the second unanswered question. How did the Tuscan chicken turn out? I'm going to ask you a question after we talk about two recipes that we did this week. The first was the one we mentioned last week, creamy one-pot Tuscan chicken pasta. Mm-hmm. You cook cubed or shredded chicken in a variety of delicious spices and oil. Then add your onions, your garlic, cook a few minutes more. Then you're adding your pasta to the pot with the broth and coconut milk and white wine vinegar. Now, don't forget, we're doing still doing the AIP elimination diet, so everything is AIP approved here. Everything I've listed is, which means that I'm omitting black pepper. Mm-hmm. I'm omitting sun-dried tomatoes, and we're using a completely grain-free AI-approved pasta. Yep. When your pasta is almost done, that's when you add your coconut cream, spinach, nutritional yeast, and the chicken back into the pot. Mm-hmm. That's it. It was good. It was a little bit juicy. Meaning the ratio was off with too much broth? Maybe a little bit too much broth. Okay. Or go ahead and add more broth and make it a soup. <laughs> because then the next day, those noodles, when they sit in liquid for a long time, right. they break down. I wonder if with these gluten-free noodles or AIP noodles, uh-huh. if they need to be cooked separately and held separately and then added to the pot of stew, because you're right, they do break down in the overnight. Yep, they do. The melange does not treat those noodles well. And so it was really good the next day because it was more like absorbed, mm-hmm. but most of the noodles were like almost, Mush, cooked, yeah. almost cooked down again. But the flavors were nice. Uh-huh. It was a good... I'm finding that these AIP flavors are great. Recipes yeah. are good first step recipes, but the second yeah. time I make it, it's going to be ten times better than the first time. Always, it's got to tweak, tweak, tweak. All right, then I made Caribbean inspired beef soup. That La- was great. This was last night. Yes, 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 yes. I'm loving that. I'm loving that because you got so many vegetables coming out of the well, garden. Well, the conversation was, I've got these vegetables and I've got this meat. How about if I do this? You said, no, make a soup. <laughs> okay. No soup problem. is like the thing I want because it's always good with lots of different kinds of vegetables and it's so easy to have leftover the next day. Mm-hmm. Now, the recipe calls for carrots, celery, onion, cilantro, and garlic. I used all of those things. Mm-hmm. But in addition to those vegetables, 
What else did we add? I mean, I added all of this stuff that you'd pulled out of the garden. There was cauliflower. Yeah, cauliflower and broccoli. Radishes. Radishes, turnips. And I did say that I didn't think the turnips were as good in the soup as they were like when you make mashed turnips because I, I love tell you mashed something? turnips. I but didn't put turnips in that soup last night. Are you sure? I promise. Oh, well, I was going to say that they ended up like tasting more the next day like a potato. Like they ended well, up with I did flavor. use your sweet potatoes. No, the sweet potatoes are orange and right. this one was white. So anyways, whatever. Well, that might have been that black, thicker skinned thing yes, you called a radish is what you're so. talking about. Yeah. What kind of radish is that? Black Spanish radish. They're very good and they have a similar flavor to a No, turnip. I'm saving the turnips to make the mashed turnips. I have a bunch of turnips. So we're going to make a bunch of mashed turnips then. Wonderful. They're really good. That's one of my favorite things, you guys. And if you haven't heard me say this before, even if you don't use all turnips, and right now because I can't eat regular potatoes... We're having mashed turnips with no potatoes in them. Mm -hmm. When you make mashed potatoes, yeah. add a turnip to yeah. your mashed potatoes. Totally. It enhances the flavor in such a wonderful way. The turnip so has good. to cook a little longer than the potato. Just keep that in mind. So good. But this is a bunch of your fresh herbs and then all the harder vegetables, celery, onions, garlic, saute that, right? Then you're going to add your ground beef or pork, get that cooked, then add your sweet potatoes, broth water, and coconut milk. We added some fennel to it, even though the recipe didn't call for it. Yes. Fennel fronds. Mm -hmm. And that really, I liked that flavor pop in there. That yeah. was really good. I enjoyed the fennel fronds a lot. I'm also loving that all my onions are starting to come out now, even the mm -hmm. bulbing onions. Good Lord, they taste so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the most delicious. We've been eating the white onions and I've been eating raw white onions. They're so sweet, you guys. Ugh. And what I liked about this recipe was that you make a dumpling with it. Oh, dumpling. So, cassava flour, coconut flour, salt, and water, right? Make a dough ball, then pick it off and dump it in after your sweet potatoes are almost done. The last four or five minutes, you're just boiling the dumplings until they're done. I'd never made a dumpling with cassava flour before. Right. The only dumpling experience that I know that we have is kind of a general baking right. mix that has gl yeah. you know, gluten flour. Yeah. In. Yeah. I thought that the dumplings were too large. Yes. Even though they were exactly as they show yeah. in the recipe yeah. photo. They needed to be like little, like almost like a size of a nochi, like a small yes. ball. Yeah. That that would have been better. But that, that cassava flour dumpling mm -hmm. was pretty dense. Yeah. Well, that was the reason why my dumplings were always better than like anyone else when the kids ate other people's dumplings is because I worked very hard at making dumplings that weren't hard dough balls. Yeah. They were like biscuits that boiled in the water. What was your trick? Actually, what I would do would be to, I wouldn't roll or like really pad or whatever. Mm -hmm. I would just like create a dough ball and it would be a nice sized dough ball because in the water it boils. And so some of that stuff sloughs off into the water makes and sauce. makes the water creamier. Yeah. I would end up with, you know, decent size, but you're looking for a cooked biscuit that isn't too kneaded on the outside. Because that toughens it up. Yes, I'm exactly. Yeah. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. Are you getting tired of some of these AIP substitution ingredients that we're using over and over and over again, including your coconut milk no. and your coconut cream. No. Okay. No, I love all that. I'm ready to be, I don't really know what I am. I'm not in a hurry to be off the diet, mm -hmm. but maybe I am just to make it a little bit easier for like eating out and stuff okay, like that. Okay, let me ask you this. Of all the things that are eliminated from your diet right now, you're going to begin adding them in one at a time and then seeing how your body reacts. Yes. Oh, well, I'm ready to 
when my vegetables start coming out of the garden, the ones that I can't eat, the potatoes, the tomatoes, the peppers. The ones that come out of your garden. I'm going to be sad I can't eat those. So okay. that's where I'm going to start really feeling resistance. But as soon as I start harvesting tomatoes, which is going to be soon, and peppers, which I've already started, I've been handing like a bell pepper to my mom, a banana pepper to my mom. And every time I do, I'm like, oh. Plus, well, that was my first, that was my question. What's the first thing? It's going to be vegetables from my garden. Okay. Yeah. Not It's going to be peppers. It's going to be... Yeah, no, it's going to be stuff from my garden, gotcha. definitely. So to kind of round up the weeks of talking about regenerative agriculture yes. and kind of going in and out of the politics of that and just bringing it around. Yeah, go back the last, I think, two weeks. We've been talking about regenerative agriculture and all the problems that it solves. And it's an ongoing conversation when I do my lives on Sunday morning. And anytime I teach a class or anytime I talk to somebody, go to consulting or coaching or anything like that, I'm always going to talk about regenerative agriculture. Yeah, saves the world. Last week, we talked about Alan Williams, and he is a regenerative farmer, a successful regenerative farmer, does a lot of teaching. I think his business is called the Soil Health Network. And you know what? I bet he charges to teach people. I bet he does. <laughs> I bet he does. That usually comes with a level of experience that's worth paying for. And I think that one of the good ways to just kind of shore it up was that Alan mentioned the six principles of regenerative agriculture. Yeah. And these are all principles that I have taught yeah. over time. It brings it down and makes it easier for me to say, here are the principles, right. right? Now, a lot of people talk about the five principles of regenerative agriculture. And when they talk about the five principles, they're talking specifically about the farming and how to deal with the soil and how to do your farming. Right. He mentioned six principles of regenerative agriculture, and I believe that goes back to holistic management, which is a system that is regenerative agriculture, but holistic management was started by Alan Savory from Australia. The sixth principle that he includes, or they include, is called context. When I talk about gardening, context is absolutely one of the things I talk about. I always talk about an important part of understanding how to do it best is understanding your land, where you're at, okay. the things that you have time to right. do. So like take into context, how am I going to be able to handle the weather here, right? How much time do I have? Is this my full-time job or do I have other things to do? Mm -hmm. Do I have the money to get the resources that I need to get started or am I going to have to take time to invest in building up the resources before I can mm -hmm. get started? Well, is the context also like what parcel of land am I doing this on compared yes. to some other parcel yes. across the world? Yes. What is the soil consistency prior yes. to me getting started? Yes. I'm with you. Yeah, it's that makes sense. It's all about the observation. It's all about who's doing sure. it, where they're doing it at, what they're doing, right? And this is a part of that when you bring it into holistic management, holistic management goes into how will you be able to handle your budget? When will you do the marketing? You know, how will you, who will you sell it to? Sure. You know, all of these types of things need to be brought into the conversation for a, a really successful, regenerative agriculture. Academic conversation rather than a hands in the dirt conversation. Yes and no. It's more so bringing it all together holistically. Okay. I mean, it's bringing mind, body and spirit together, right? right? <laughs> you know? And then the other five are, the first one that I've been talking about is soil armor. Soil armor is basically making sure that you always have plants over the top of the soil, mm -hmm. that you allow the weeds to grow, that you cover it with mulch. Yeah. That notion that when you look at a commercially farmed piece of huge tract of land that is just dirt. Right. It doesn't have its armor on. That's right. I'm with you. And the earth is going to create armor. 
The only places on the planet that don't have armor are the desert, and that's because we mistreated the, soil the land. The didn't have armor. Right. So, yeah. Right. So now the soil really doesn't have armor. Because without that armor, up. a cover crop or mulch or something, you're, its life. you're more likely to blow away. The right. topsoil literally can blow away or... Yeah. Gets compacted by the rain. With you. It washes away. Okay. All of those types of things. The second one is diversity. We've been talking about this for several weeks. Right. Biodiversity, the biodiversity in our stomach, right? Okay, so diversity of the land, all different types of plants, mm -hmm. all different heights of trees and all kinds of things like that. Diversity of right. people, animals, all that. There's diversity on As the land. As opposed to a... Again, this acreage that you can see as far as the eyes go on a, a commercial piece of property, maybe they're doing two different crops and that's all that that soil is touching. Yeah, that's monoculture. Mm -hmm. So biodiversity would be polyculture, a bunch of different types of things right. that we're growing. The third one is continual live plant roots. Okay. If you're on a large scale farm, they have types of machines that will actually just cut or reap the material off, take the top plants off and leave the root in the ground. Okay. I know you do that. That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. I go in and just trim the plants off. Now, I don't do that with all of my, some of it I weed, especially if I'm going back to seed immediately, I'll just kind of pop stuff out. And so it breaks the soil up just a little bit. And then I can put my seeds right down well, inside Well, I mean, you won't pull a sunflower that has no use in the garden any longer out. I try You'll not to. You'll cut it down at the dirt yeah. and let that root stay inside yeah. underneath. Yeah. Because it creates life around it. If you've ever dug up a root, you can see that there's earthworms around it. There's mycorrhizal fungi around it. There's little beetles. There's all kinds of stuff. And then as it breaks down, it starts to feed the life inside the soil mm -hmm. and um, composts in place, basically. Yeah. And so making sure that you always have continual live plant roots in your soil. Then livestock in integration. We've talked about hooves, different types of hooves, different types of manure, the biodiversity of right. having different animals on your on your land. Mm -hmm. Different animals eat different plants, so different plants get so it's not like they're like wiping out just one variety of plant with one animal. You've got all kinds of animals that are doing different things on the property. Yeah. All the biodiversity that you're looking for, all the different types of livestock integration, getting them involved, not just that they're here on the property, but that you're transitioning them into your production in some way. Yeah, I'll be sure to repost a picture of our portable chicken coop yes. where we've got tunnels, Perfect. literal tunnels. Yes. The chickens come out of the coop and during the day and go into the tunnels where we place those tunnels and oftentimes they're going down the footpaths between your rows so they can poop that thing all up and scratch it up and dig in there. Yeah, that's one of the things a lot of people talk about as a challenge when they're talking about, when they're talking about regenerative agriculture to gardeners and or market gardeners, they'll often say, now it's a little bit more challenging when you're doing annual vegetable gardens to integrate livestock than it is like a pasture, you know, or turning livestock out on a fallow field that you've processed the harvest out of, and then mm -hmm. you just turn the animals out on. If you're working in small gardens, it's like, okay, well, how do I get the animals in there, right? right? I can't let a steer go through my gardens. Yeah. So, I mean, there are ways that you can um, well, incorporating let, the manure let gardens minimally. go fallow. Yes. Let incorporate the manure. A lot of times, whenever I've let gardens go fallow, mm -hmm. I'll just open it up and let the chickens go out yeah. on it, you know, um, in the summertime, right before I get ready to plant my fall plants again, mm -hmm. you know, as long as I don't have a bunch of stuff that I'm still trying to harvest, which often you don't in the summertime, I'll let my chickens kind of go out on things, you know, we the can chickens always we keep in the run. 
But now we got a gang of roving ducks, and yes. we can't, we don't keep them out of anything. Nope. They're just walking around, eating, yep. pooping, and they're around. They're yeah. they're in my gardens, they love and they insects. are getting yeah, exactly. They're eating seeds out of the grass. They're doing all kinds of stuff with that. So then the last principle is minimizing soil disturbance. So this is all that tilling everybody wants to do and everybody keeps doing. And when you're in clay soil, you just, and there's a generation of people that just love to till the garden. They just mm-hmm. love to till the garden. That's when they <laughs> know that the gardening has begun for the year. It's time to till it. Yeah. You till the garden, you till the garden. Once I build a garden, I don't till it again. Now that doesn't mean that I don't have some soil disturbance. When I do my weeding and I go into plant, that's soil disturbance. Right. But even still, I can show you on my land for free on Mondays. You can come out anytime, any Monday you want to. What does that cost? It's free to come what? out on a Monday. I know. You could actually see where I will show you a brand new garden that's just been tilled compared to an older garden that is four or five years old and how there's no disturbance or the only disturbance you're seeing is in the footpath when I'm cleaning up and pulling material out of my footpath and getting that nice composted material out and putting it up on top. That's where my soil disturbance is occurring right. at all. All then that you chicken can see... poop goes from the footpath up and back into the garden. Exactly. And the mulch that was down in the footpath and all the plants that I've cut and put down mm-hmm. there in the footpath and all the moisture that has gone down there and things that have already grown and put that up on top of the row. But you will be able to see the difference in health of a brand new garden, of a one-year-old garden, of a two-year-old garden, of a three-year-old garden. I can show you the soil today in layers, in years to show the difference in what soil disturbance and when you don't disturb the soil, what a difference it makes to Mm -hmm. the life of your garden and the health of your garden. That podcast that we posted last week with Alan Williams, I might even repost it this week since we're talking about it again. You sent it to me and I asked you this question. Do they talk about the transition of how we're going to move the world's farms from the commercial process Mm -hmm. to this regenerative process? If that's going to a largely solve climate change. <laughs> yeah. Important shit. Yeah. B help us be with our able, autoimmune issues. Right. Cancer. Be able to feed people with more nutrient dense right. food that we right. do not have any longer because right. of the way that we're doing it. And you just like, just listen. He does get there. Yes. And he says And I was impressed at what they talked about. Yeah, he says the first step is the no till. Yes. And it's such a massive mind shift mm-hmm. from the way we've always done it mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. Gabe Brown says that when he started and made the commitment to it, and the reason he made the commitment to it was because he he was having one of those really bad six years in a row of horrible weather, massive like Flooding, problems. Yeah. It wasn't just flooding. It was um, hailstorms okay. and windstorms and just like his farm was getting hit. Maybe another farm wasn't having as bad as problems, but he just got year after year and he was like, I'm going to lose the farm if I don't do something different. And someone gave him this idea. And when he went down the road to do it, he sold his tilling machines. Any any oh, wow. implements or any machines that he had that did disturbance work got rid of them. Yeah. He sold them. And then he was like, and, and then of course, turkey. yeah, and then he was like, and then of course I could buy some of the other machines that were more helpful for it because I'd sold that material mm-hmm. and whatever. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, but it is fascinating to me because Every woman will say, oh, my husband, he just loves to till. He just wants to till. And that's, I mean, I know that to be true. And it's a generational thing, I think. Like there, you know, most of the people in our generation don't garden. 
but we also don't have a bunch of tillers and stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're in a place where you're dealing with clay, hard, compacted soil, you can't come up with another solution. I've begun telling people to stop disturbing the soil at all. Don't even worry about it. It's a waste of your time. Go buy your material and put it on top of the land. Right. But then you got to go back into context. Do you have the means to go and get the materials that you need to go get? If you don't, then you're going to have to build some up. You're going to have to build up. You're going to add some things to that clay. You have to create compost, yeah. basically. You're going to have to create mulch you know, and, and build it up on top of it. But yeah, I would love to share a lot more of this stuff in person with you at a class or at a private coaching session or even on Mondays for free here at the farm. You're more than welcome to come out anytime. I would love to have you. I've really enjoyed sharing this information. Thank everybody for being patient and willing to listen to my um, seed planting, regenerative agriculture conversation. Well, you had me at regenerative agriculture saves the world. <laughs> Let's bring this episode home with our random question of the week. If someone wants to know why you don't want to be friends with them on Facebook, what's the best answer? I actually dealt with this. Not Did that you? I've never dealt with that. Yeah. I don't defriend a lot of people. I don't either. Someone asked why I defriended them. I think they asked you why I defriended them. And I was like, I, I didn't defriend I didn't defriend them. I, don't I had know. that happen once. <laughs> I don't remember that. And then one time I asked someone why they defriended me. I can tell that this box of questions was asked before like unfollow uh -huh. or snooze yeah. existed. Yeah. It was friend or not a friend. I snooze people all the time. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes people that I really like listening to most of the time, mm -hmm. they get on a jag about something. Yeah. Stop it already. Now you're being obnoxious. And then I have to put them on a 30-day snooze. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you're back. So good to see you. You're talking about gardening again. Perfect. I had a suspicion that someone was talking some shit about me. This was 10, 11 years ago. Uh-huh. And I noticed that I got defriended by somebody. Uh-huh. And I knew why they defended me. Uh -huh. was because they were listening to someone else talk some shit about me. Uh-huh. And I just wanted I them to say, <laughs> right? I wanted them to ask me what they had heard so that I could tell them my version. In that period, only two people said, hey, this person's talking shit about you. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Only two people asked me about it. And? Oh, that's just an aside. But I asked this person, dude, we're not friends. Why are you defriending me? Now, I tell this story with great shame because the moment I hung up the phone, I was like, God, why, why did, did I, I do, do that? that? Yeah. Why did I go that low? And what is Facebook that yeah. I care even? Right. But this was, a, this was a long time ago when I wasn't quite as mature as I am now. There was somebody that blocked me that not that long ago. Then all of a sudden on my business page, they started commenting again, like all the time, mm -hmm. like they were doing on my other mm -hmm. personal page when they were doing it. I'm so different about Facebook's not a personal thing to me. Mm -hmm. It's a, all of it is a marketing business. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, Facebook. the one time someone asked why I defriended them to you, I, I was like, I didn't even know I defriended them. That's how many people I don't, I don't even know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I would say I'm sorry. But that person took it very, very personal. Oh, very. It turned into this big yeah. freaking thing yeah. that like was all Facebook crazy weird. came on the scene as a shiny fun toy and it was fun. <laughs> When it first started, A, it was the reconnection with all those people that you could connect with. That was fun to me. I enjoyed catching up with a lot of people that I hadn't talked to in a long, long time because it was real no easy way to find them. Yeah. It was people trying to make each other laugh. 
I remember that. That happened for a while, yeah. A and lot then, of a really or really pictures. cool news stories. Like yeah. I'm finding really interesting music and people are sharing things. And then it just took that turn. I think it's when I think it I took think it's the when turn. it began to monetize itself. Yes, but also I think that it took a bit the biggest turn when it started getting political, when politicians started using it. And I was one of those. <laughs> I was one of the politicians well, that started using it. You were one of the first locally that used yeah. Facebook in a way that now they all do. Yeah. I remember that. But when the businesses got a hold of it and began marketing themselves was a big turn. Yeah. And then when Facebook began showing ads. Yeah. Oh, there's ads now. And then, yeah, the it becoming a tool to divide us. A do tool to divide when- us. I don't want that to go unsaid. Everyone had to do the same thing where like the (laughs) bucket. ALS challenge. That was the one. And then it like started happening. Everyone Everyone turned their profile picture dark for this or that. And then if you didn't respond to something like, well, what was wrong with you? Why didn't, why didn't you respond to this thing? Excuse me. We're all doing it. (laughs) But then I think also you have to keep in mind that it went from like, a million to 10 million to 20 million to, to 50 million, million to billion to a billion billion. Like everyone on the planet is using it now. So I'm that's posting this and different. of all my friends, I bet three won't even share it. Yeah, I'm not going to. Anytime someone does one of those, I don't give a shit what it <laughs> yeah, says. It can literally say something like really, really good. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Not to me, the most valuable part of Facebook is Messenger. The scrolling's not even fun. I only see 10 people's stuff. I don't scroll right now. I stopped scrolling for Lint. I got to admit that every once in a while, I'm like, oh, f- I'm scrolling. Yeah. I will respond because Facebook has figured out that I'm not scrolling. So it that makes the message at the very top, like the, the whatever post is right there at the top, they know they're going to get me on that one. They're going to put the juicy stuff up. And they almost always do because I'm like, oh, well, that's so-and-so. And I look at their What's stuff. What's the you know, next whatever. thing down? Yes. Well, it happens sometimes. Like, damn it. it. Yeah. Damn it. I'm scrolling. So I've been like actively trying not to scroll. I'm a content creator. That's the reason I'm on there. Like I create content. I share what I'm doing. I share the specials for my businesses. I share the podcast. I share YouTube. I Mm -hmm. share, which by the way, hey, you guys, our podcast goes up on YouTube weekly Mm -hmm. now. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't already, because one of the things that can really, really help us is if you subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's also ways that you can help us by giving us a review on Spotify and Apple. No matter where you listen to the podcast, if it's a service like Apple or Spotify or Google Mm -hmm. or Stitcher. Follow us, right? Follow us and rank us, us, like rate us. us. Five stars, please. Yeah. Do that kind of stuff because Mm -hmm. that really helps more people get the word. Yeah. I think we have, I I really honestly feel based on the podcasts I listen to and just watching other things occur, I think we have some really good stuff going on here. It's just, we need to make those connections. It's all word of mouth. That's how podcasts grow now. It's all word of mouth. If you wanted to share a Facebook post or an Instagram post for us, that'd be great. Or definitely say, hey to a friend these guys talk about regenerative agriculture and adoption (laughs) these guys talk about food these guys talk about sheep with thorns i don't know these guys talk about sex life i don't know adoption like who knows what they're going to talk about and then i guess one more thing at www.dinnertabletalks.com you can go there and subscribe and give us a few bucks a month Oh, that would be lovely. That would be hugely lovely. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. All right.
a gang of roving ducks. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you.